to the Club, a Graveyard Club podcast, where every two weeks we get together to talk about life, the band, share some behind-the-scenes stories and insights, and answer your questions. I'm Matt. I play synth and vote. I play the vocals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mike. I play guitar. My name is Corey. That's who I am. And I play drums. And I'm Amanda, your host on the bass and with some backing vocals. This is a podcast we decided to do uh, at least as long as we are quarantining during this global pandemic. We'll see after that. Who knows? It's all an experiment. So without further ado, let's go on to our first segment. What's new with you, buddy? Oh, what's new? Well, I've been working from home. Uh, I got a new puppy. His name is Archie. And uh, he's the light of my life. He's, uh, he's my soulmate. And that's, that's been, a, been a really fun thing. But other than that, it's been a, a pretty, pretty low-key couple weeks here. I barely left the house. How about you, Mike? What's new with you, buddy? Uh, similar. Working from home. Um, about to go back to work. And um, running a lot on the treadmill that I got to stave off the insanity so that's like a road that's inside your house yeah it's like the floor part of the floor of your house will now moves move at a rapid pace okay sounds more like a dread mill <laughs> mike had to get an extra long treadmill because he's a tall boy oh they make them longer than are you serious yeah yeah it's true <laughs> custom made just for my long legs <laughs> I thought you were maybe being serious. I was like, well, why wouldn't they make longer ones and shorter no, ones? No, it is real. He's serious. It's real. It's not custom made, but they... they oh, know, it is like true. A, okay. You can get a longer track, which is like advantageous to, to tall people. Were you... Did you have to like tiptoe on a normal size one? Otherwise, your legs would go off at the end? <laughs> yes. Corey, what's new with you, what buddy? What if there was one that was super... <laughs> you get one more treadmill joke. <laughs> well, I was just imagining like a treadmill, but it's like a, just like a log, you know, like log rolling. Oh, like yes. it's a super short one that just has one wheel that you see just roll right on there. Anyways, um, I've been working on remodeling my kitchen for the last couple of months. Oh yeah, I've been doing that too. I forgot on my update, but you keep going. You keep going. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of just been what I've been doing for the most part. It's looking really nice. And uh, yeah, kind of just just hanging out. I've been making a lot of cookies lately. I made. All the kinds. I went to a cookie swap with distancing outdoors. Um, I also just dropped off a bunch at a bunch of other friends. And if anybody has anything to say about those cookies right now, yeah, maybe maybe you wanna. I do. We ate all of them last cookies night. Cookies are great. Oh. I really enjoyed the chocolate ones. That was my favorite too. Those yeah, those are those turned out good. Yeah, I think Amanda's routine for the last uh, week straight has been bake for a few hours every single night. I'm kind of going overboard. I just feel like there's no other evidence that it's Christmas, and I like the Christmas season, so I'm trying to do something to kind of get yeah. in the spirit of it. Makes sense. You know, are you a Home Alone watcher? Do you guys do the like big Christmas movies? We, we watched, watched uh, the Grinch or the what is it called? The Jim Carrey one. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. the Grinch. Yeah. We watched Home Alone last year. Yeah, we should fire that Wait, up again. You mean like you're good for a while? Because you <laughs> I've already seen it four times in the last. Are you for real? Yeah. Oh my god, that's beautiful. I watch it a lot. You watch TV in a. Did you watch the way. second? Do you watch the follow up one? Or you just watch 
the original. Oh yeah, you gotta see. You gotta see how he ends up. How many are there actually? Is there just two? There's like four, but after Macaulay's done with them, after two, it's it's dead to me. They hire a new kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At three, it's a new kid. When I was a kid, me and my brother for some reason had a poster in our shared bedroom of Home Alone two. Is that like Lost in New York? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and it always. Oh yeah. I was. I've seen that. I was apparently neurotic even as like a ten year old because it bothered me that in that picture on the poster, it's like Kevin reading the newspaper. And on the paper, like you as like the person looking at the poster can see the front page that he's holding. And it says that like the two criminals got loose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Kevin is reacting to that story. (laughs) But it's like you're not looking at that. You're looking at the other side of the paper. It doesn't make any sense. It's like an ad for a really good sale. A store he loves. That it's not even. He missed the thing about the burglars completely. It's unrelated to the plot of the movie. I have a question related to that same thing though. So, newspapers. <laughs> Wait, we should. I made this. Is that backwards? <laughs> no, it's lots of, lots of thudding noises on my. Mike end. is holding up a sign right now that says "Stop hitting the table slash your mic." Okay. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Okay, so I was commenting on what Mike was saying about the newspaper. But a lot of times in newspapers, they'll start a story at the beginning and then you have to go like continue the story in the back of the newspaper. Is that what was happening there? And also, why do oh. they do that? Do you know what I'm talking about? That, mm-hmm. That's the best yeah. theory I've heard so far. And they, I accept they like it. want you to read more. They want you to keep going so yeah. you see all the ads. That is so that's so weird. So, yeah, because they like start all the stories at the beginning to like get you enticed. But then yeah. you have to go all the way yeah. to the back to finish it and like read the meat of the story. Right. Interesting. That doesn't make any sense. It's the same as when you're like on a blog and like every you have to scroll by like the the act. It's maybe like a paragraph of content, but every sentence there's eight ads. You have to go. It's just an analog blog. Analog <laughs> yeah. blog. That's Nothing true. makes me feel older than when like I don't <laughs> know how to get to the rest of the content. Like sometimes I'll read like nerdy like music lists, like top 10 albums from yes. this band. And it's like scroll down to find more. And it's like all I can Start find the are the ads. Show. And it's like, yeah, that's the worst. And yeah, sometimes I, or, yeah. I, I can't always successfully figure it out. There's sometimes where I'm like, I don't believe that the rest of it actually exists. I think sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> I think the worst ones are the ones where it's like you're looking for a video, but then like in the meanwhile, like as you're going down, you're scrolling past like six or seven videos to get to the one that's finally at the uh, bottom. You're like, what video is this? Which one do I click on? I feel like we're kind of having a natural segue right now into our next segment, which is Median Nest. <laughs> What kinds of media have you been enjoying lately? Aside from Home Alone, of course. Let's see. I don't know. I've been watching... I feel like I've been watching too much TV, probably. Oh, we've all been watching that HBO show, How to... How to? Jonathan Wilson. Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. That is wild. That's unlike anything else, and it's amazing. Thanks. Have you guys seen um, Nathan For You? Yes. It's the same Together. creator, or like it's the same production company or something. You pointed that out to me too, and then I was like, oh, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it's very like meta and cringy, but super compelling. Um, Media Nest, my answer to that would be a lot of, I don't know, just a lot of HBO stuff too. I, I was watching way too many, like as Amanda likes to say, watching too much murder. A lot of like true crime stuff. I watched that... Um, I'll be gone in the dark or whatever. That one that um, it's the it's the deceased wife of 
Patton Oswalt and the Golden State Killer. Oh right, yep. yeah. I watched yeah. that one recently. Yeah, she had like a book. I listened to that audio book actually. Is it's interesting, but it's like pretty dark. Yeah, I like. I'm always in the position of <laughs> of defending my murder habit. Uh, watching to murder Amanda. habit. Murder bad name. Wait, isn't that a show? That's the episode one. That's the name of episode one of that I series. Thought. Is called Murder Habit, but. I'm always defending it because Amanda doesn't get it. You're not into that, which I get. But like, I'm not necessarily like a huge true crime nerd either. I just love documentaries, and it feels like 90% of all documentaries made now are in that genre. So Murder like, that's is what so I watch. hot right now. Yeah. Yep. Um, other stuff I've been listening to. Mike, I was going to ask you, when you're, since you're talking about that, have you seen, um, it's called Murder on Middle Beach? Yes, dude. That was really good. That was awesome. I was actually, Patrick and Danny were watching that too, and I was kind of like, I had started it, and then like the, the episodes were coming out on Sundays, so I was like getting psyched about like looking forward to that. And I was kind of like, "Oh, this is sort of why like this is why like scheduled TV is kind of exciting in some weird ways because you can like talk about it with people and be like, oh, 'Oh, I'm looking forward to that thing.'" I only had to k- wait for the finale to air in real time. Amanda, you caught part of that one. It's where like the son yeah, is like filming his whole in. family. Yeah, it's interesting. Who do you think? I feel like it's. Probably the dad had something to do with it, right? Definitely. Spoiler alert. But He's yeah. so guilty. I think the dad had a hand in like hiring somebody or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like once you once you get to the end and you start to find out about all of his like weird shady business deals and stuff, you're like, yeah. He's, that's definitely like some illegal activity going on and like And just his refusal to talk yeah, about yeah, it. He was, was so defensive and weird about like interacting with his own son about it. Anyway. I haven't seen it, but I think it. I think the Dementors did it, for, <laughs> like when they when he's on the train. I think that's when he got expecto patronum. Anybody got any good bands they've been listening to? You've been listening to a lot of Christian Lee Hudson in this household. That's that's been my like one of my favorite records. So good. And, I haven't listened to that at all. And that ties into the band thing because I uh, I've been listening to the Pogues a lot. And there's a new uh, documentary on Shane McGowan, who's a lead singer of the Pogues. It's called. Uh, Crock of Gold. It's a pretty good documentary about his wildlife. Uh, so I've been listening to the Pogues a lot, which isn't new, but it's new for you this week. It's new again. Yeah. Nice. Nice. How yeah. about our next segment? What's new with the band? We need a name for this segment. Taking suggestions. What's the band up to this week? Well, we've been very, very tediously recording remotely with our sort of long time-ish producer, Andy, but that's really slow going. So I know a few people ask questions too about like, when are we going to be able to expect to hear some new music? And the answer is, who the hell knows? (laughs) Um, Like we've got a couple songs basically finished, but right around the time that we were like, hey, maybe we can start going in person again and like going in like shifts to Stagger, like it felt like everything pandemic wise was ramping up pretty significantly. So we backed off again and it's crazy how hard it is to get any progress made. Just, I don't know, piecemealing this together in this way. It's just very mm-hmm. painstakingly slow, but it'll happen eventually. We're, we're like, we have lots of song demos and ideas and things. It's just a matter of like getting it to materialize. Yeah, there's movement. It's just slow. This was a good week for merch. We um, had a little setback with the cellar door vinyl, which we were supposed to be getting right around now. Um, Like every industry, the vinyl pressing industry has uh, 
having some big supply chain stuff going on or whatever with COVID. So we're not getting that yet, but we shipped out some cute little koozies and notes and whatever else you might have ordered along with the vinyl. So that was like a really big shipping week, trying to get some stuff out by Christmas, maybe in case those are presents. I feel like that's the thing we've been like most busy with for the last six months is just like merch stuff. Totally. Um, Which is awesome because like that, I feel like it's like a, I think that's what a lot of people are doing right now to like support bands, which is really good. And I think those not to transition into the next segment, but there was a question about that. Um, But yeah, I think that like, it's been awesome to be able to sell a bunch of stuff right now and um, be able to use that money towards like recording when we get mm-hmm. to that point. So it's been good to see that. Yeah, Plus, that's yeah, been super been nice. Busy with that stuff. Thanks, fans. Yeah, that's we thought we were out of those koozies for like probably a year. We didn't think any oh, yeah. more koozies were there. And then Corey went back to our old practice space and like looked in, and there was a a totally sealed box. <laughs> I was like finding koozies. So really, there was like a weekend where I was just down there rifling around, and I found a whole bunch of stuff. It was like blown to the band. Like to I clarify, hadn't seen or talked to my dad in like a year, and then I went down. He was down there, just in a rocking chair. <laughs> I feel like to clarify, when we say the old practice space, this is like a basement room of a property that Corey still owns but doesn't live in, and I feel like we never fully actually moved out of it. We just sort of like no. half-heartedly took some of the most important things. Dude, there's all sorts of stuff down there. So. And anytime we can't find something, it's like it's probably in the old practice space. But nobody has ever bothered checking in the last year. And when I say nobody, I mean specifically Corey. Dude, when you go in there, it's like Pompeii of our band in there. There's like just posters, old posters up all over the place and stuff. Just old artifacts covered in dust everywhere. Dude, it's great. Uh, I need to clean that out. There's some squatters in there for sure. Yeah, and we've been... Uh, doing some work with Bo Sorensen, who's a producer, like engineer guy that uh, I've been a fan of for a long time. He's done some cool records. So yeah, so our new tracks are we've worked with Andy, who we've I think that's a question too. We'll get to of who we work with, but Bo Bo's a new guy in our world as well, which has been fun. Yeah, I was good to get new blood. Okay, so that pretty much covers what's new with the band. Keep your ear to the tracks for that cellar door vinyl, hopefully in the next month or so. Yeah. So do we have anything for story time today? I think story time, like just to like pull back the curtain a little bit. To me, our intention behind story time is like the whole reason we thought a podcast would be fun. I remember like... A year or two or even three ago, maybe Corey saying, like, we should do a podcast where we just tell the crazy stories that we've experienced on tour. <laughs> yeah. But some of them just, I don't know if the people are ready. <laughs> we could, <laughs> we might as well dive into that, right? Why not? <laughs> I mean, where do we begin? So the first. We don't have to be chronological. We can just talk about what we want to talk about today. Well, I've... I mean, the, the first tour is definitely the wildest. That was like, we paid an. Yeah. Agency of some sort. Yeah, we were going to book our own tour, right? Like, that was the original plan, and we just slowly realized how difficult that was. This is, we, this is what, because like, we just, five years ago? Yeah, it was like a year into us being a band. Probably five years ago, We're very ago, new, yeah. and we didn't have any clout. Or money. Not a single fan. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta start somewhere. But yeah, you're, I mean, you're, you're basically just, like, emailing, like, randomly emailing clubs and other bands in those towns and, like, just 
desperately trying to set up shows. It's not easy at all. <laughs> Wait. So we ended up finding some company. Hold on. I just remember. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if this is the same thing, but um, somewhere in that process of like trying to book our own out of town shows, I was like doing my. I know, I, dude. I know exactly what you're gonna say. So I was like, oh, we were taking Ellen. shifts. Yes, it's Ellen. <laughs> I was like emailing. We're just like sending out to like whatever like emails we could find for different venues, and I was like tackling some East Coast <laughs> venues, and like the first one I started with was like a booker named Ellen for somewhere in New York. And then I like emailed her and then we had like a whole like template of like, here's what we're going to say to these people. So I'm copying and pasting like crazy. And then I realized after sending like four or five emails to different clubs around the East Coast, like I started every single email with, hi, Ellen. And I was like, oh, no, they all start with, hi, Ellen. It's just a normal say. You know what's weird about that scenario? Like we... Eventually, we booked a gig ourselves in New York. Yes. We were like, oh, Sweet. yes. This is the anchor part. date. Let's do it. And then we couldn't get any other dates. So we're like, we're going to have to pull out. And we canceled at a venue. We won't say the name of the venue. But they were like, you're, <laughs> you'll are you never play here again. It was, you're but blacklisted. It, and we played there like two right. years later. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't even personal. It wasn't like, how dare you? It was like, this is our policy. If you cancel, you'll never play here. Yeah, they were like, that's our policy. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, they just forgot about us because it was so inconsequential that we did, in fact, play there again. Yeah, They like ran through my mind when they said that. I was like, there's probably dozens of bands emailing you every day. It's like, what are you keeping a list? Yeah, Yeah, definitely not. But so anyway, we ended up having no success trying to book it ourselves because we had so little time or connection or anything to like outside of the Midwest at that time. And we ended up paying like a agency to book us shows. And it was basically like name how many shows you want to play and where you want to get to. We'll fill in the blanks on your way to that destination. So we were like, let's go to New York City, like fill in the blanks for us, which they did. And then turn into like Rust Belt Ghost Towns of the Economic Depression Graveyard Club Tour. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many shows? Like, okay, how many shows do we have total? Like ten? I, I think it was or, ten to twelve. Yeah, it's a short little leg. Were you? What were you gonna say, Amanda? I was gonna say, didn't they charge us like sixty dollars per show or whatever to book the show? I think it was exactly sixty dollars. Yeah, we didn't really come out on top even because the shows were so small, financially or spiritually. It was <laughs> yeah, devastating. Yeah. I mean, there was a couple oh, we got good sixty dollars worth of free food. Yeah. I think one show got canceled and I remember I feel like all four of us held hands and jumped up and down. <laughs> with, when got, and I remember that was when the first Stranger Things came out and we were like got a hotel and we wa we binged the whole first season yeah. in the hotel room. What like, was the show? Canceled show? What was the show that got canceled? Youngstown, Ohio. Youngstown, right? Ohio. Yeah. And we were just like Is on that the, the, back the football home. hall of NFL Hall of Fame? We were driving by the NFL Hall of Fame. It's just like, God, it was so depressing. That might have been Canton. I think the problem there is like the tour, like the trap of it all is like you have such a narrow lens into the city you're in. And so like on a good tour, it's like, OK, yeah. cool club, cool mm -hmm. like, you know, bar or whatever. And some cool fans like that was nice, but like didn't see a whole lot. Like we've had good shows in like San Francisco and it's like didn't even see the ocean. But like, hey, it was like nice people and like a mm -hmm. cool show. But that tour was like, you see like one block of a city and it's like just an absolute dive bar. And so you just have this cemented notion in your mind of what these cities are. And it's mm -hmm. probably unfair, but man, what was I will never go back to some of those places. part of town. I'm trying to remember what the first, what was the first show then on that 
We stretch. played in Iowa. Dubuque. Dubuque. Dubuque, Iowa. We stayed what with was a, the cl- I think. Where was the club? Or like, what was the... Smokestack. Oh, it was, oh yeah. It was kind of a cool okay, spot. Yeah. They were like yeah, renovating. Kind of a cool venue. They were renovating everything. And it was, it was just one of those things where it's like, why would anybody come to this? Because we've it's never kind of been cool out of city, town. Actually. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah. That was, there were some good the shows. Thi- the thing I think about a lot with that is like, a band coming to Minneapolis might be like a venue that we're like, that's a cool venue. They might have a totally other take mm-hmm. where they're like, "What? Is, this is a weird neighborhood. What is this?" And like, I wonder if we had that experience where some of the places were fine, but like, yeah. not knowing the city at all, we kind of were like, "Where? Like, yeah. where are we?" But like to dig into the to the real nitty gritty of this tour, we had okay. So the first night we were staying with like a couch surfing app situation with a guy, and he was this very nice guy. But me and Matt were sharing a bedroom oh my at God. this time. In our lives and on tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Matt and I were in a little bedroom. Like I think it was like we had like just air mattresses on an empty the guest room floor. And like we had the window open because it was hot as hell in the summer. And like there was a fan that blew. There was like a rainstorm in the middle of the night. And the fan blew into the room on us. Am I wrong about that? Is that <laughs> do you remember it? Yeah. So that's one I stop. I forgot about that, but I do kind of that remember that. Now. host was a super sweet guy, yep. though, and he was like a cool artist and a piano player. He introduced me to um, the music of Nils from, but... Actually, I still follow that guy on Instagram. He's a good artist. But he did get rain on you yeah. while you slept. We're, I think we're all day. friends with him. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but then we also made a detour, not a detour, this was part of our tour. I wish it every, was a detour. Every show was a detour. Um we went to. Uh, <laughs> do we name the place? I'm thinking of the uh, nah. the head wound incident. Oh, oh. Yes, yes, yes. I think we could name. I think we could. I think we could name it. I thought that was actually like that was actually probably one of the better shows. It was to be a really lot honest. Good fans. Like, as far as like as a ten, yeah, like as a attendance goes, and like yeah. Oh, but I don't wait. Know. Okay, so we it was, get like a, to it was this... a fun show, but it was it was weird. It was crazy. It was like oh, a... was that the Bob Dylan's drummer yeah, show? Uh, yes, I was going to tell that. So oh, it yes, was yeah. like. Yes. It was kind of like a, a real... I feel like we could name it. It's called Skeletoons. Skeletoons. And it felt like a metal bar slash biker bar slash like towny kind of bar. Um, but like they had touring bands like, coming It was really through. DIY in a weird way. Yeah. Um, but cool. we were just kind of milling about, like setting up merch tables and hanging out before the show was starting. Just like a couple locals and bartenders and stuff. And the bands killing time. And we're all being friendly and like this real old timey guy, he literally looked like an old timey prospector. Was just <laughs> kept like nudging his way into this like circle of band members that are chit chatting, and he's like, "Hey, hey, I'm, I was Bob Dylan's drummer." And we're like, "What the hell are you talking about?" It's like, I, "I drum for Bob Dylan," and he just kept on trying to get in the conversation. He seemed like he was on something, and he definitely was not Bob Dylan's drummer. No, no, no. Um, but then <laughs> we were sound checking. And, um, <laughs> at, no, we, we, we went on to play. We played one yeah, this song. this is during the show. We played one song and, like, a little bit of applause. And you could hear the guy go, F*** it. These guys are better than Dylan. <laughs> Dude, but also during this, like, during the middle of the set, he had, like, a pair of brushes. Oh, yeah. Like, drumstick brushes in his back pocket. And he, like, kept coming up to the stage and trying to give them to me to, like, you got to play with these brushes. Like, you got to play with these and I was just like, dude, I'm not going to take these from you in the middle of like our set and start playing with brushes right now. Yeah, he was like at my pedal oh, board. And he was like trying to talk to me. He's like, give these to your drummer. And Corey, you're just like, no. <laughs> just, <laughs> it was just too, 
It was two uh, Sherman Williams paintbrushes. They weren't actually drum brushes. <laughs> and they were so just coated in paint. Covered in primer. But also, so the part that I left out when we were milling about and like the prospector man was talking to us <laughs> before the show, a guy just like runs into the bar freaking out, holding his head, bleeding profusely, and like just goes straight for the woman's bathroom. <laughs> and it turned out to be like one of their employees. And he had like gotten a fight before that and was just in the woman's bathroom bleeding out for like an hour before all the music started no he was he, was he fell on his bike oh, that's oh yeah that's right yeah yeah he had like a bike accident and that to me i remember that is like that was in the first minute like i feel like amanda and i went in to like check in and yeah then, like, it was like one minute we're, later it was like right away we we're like where are we this is <laughs> like, what are we doing this is what tour is like and they had to take him to the er eventually i know oh, but it was just yeah he just like went directly into the women's bathroom and was just like applying pr- pressure to this head wound we we're like oh this is gonna be a great show <laughs> so i then- think um <laughs> let's hear back from our listeners and let us know how you're enjoying story time if you want to hear more tales from this particular crypt, we could go down this road in our next episode. Or yeah. maybe you have another oh, little just, prompt Just scratch the surface on this one. <laughs> oh, man. I was like two dates into that tour. For now, I think we should move on to our next segment, which we are calling Deep Dive. Which is where we... Uh, go into a little more backstory about one song in particular and today we are doing death proof matt do you want to start us off sure so uh if you if you're not familiar with the song death proof it is on our record goodnight paradise and uh but it was a song for a couple years before that record came out and it actually was we recorded it as a single maybe a year before we even started working on that record, Goodnight Paradise. And it's like, and we've never released it. We have like a hidden version of Death Proof somewhere. That sounds pretty radically different. It was more of a kind of a mid-tempo. I, I don't, how would you call it the groove, Corey? Is it like a samba groove that we got going <laughs> on there? Um, it actually might be something like, it might be samba. Who knows? It's like a wood, yeah. the woodblock thing, maybe a bossa nova. Yeah, it's it's maybe we should release that version. But anyway, it was a totally. At the time, I was living in my parents' basement, which is where most great songs start. <laughs> and so uh, cliche. Yeah, I. You know what? I think it was right after the tour we just finished talking about, <laughs> and I was like, I like ended rent somewhere, and I was like, might as well. <laughs> keep this going so we can go on tour Matt had quit his job and got rid of his apartment because he just knew that we were going to be famous and he's like I "I don't need any of this stuff (laughs) it was either before we left for that tour or (laughs) right after we got back and I just had a guitar I didn't I don't think I had any keyboards around um so I played around and made some rough demo of Death Proof but yeah that it was ready before most of that record and we were originally planning on making that a single just kind of a one-off thing and we ended up like not liking I, f- I feel like we all were like eh, this song like should sound completely different and this is after we like I think it was even mastered at that point we were like I think we got to scrap it and redo it um so we never released that we never 
went back to that session and just completely re-recorded it for Goodnight Paradise, and it kind of turned into the more anthemic version that we hear today, the world-famous version. <laughs> I feel like I don't even remember what the first version sounded like. Like, I well, can't even I think it's imagine not, it right now, like really. For, for somebody who's listening right now and hearing that description, it's not probably that different. Like, you'd still definitely recognize it as the same song. But, like, the treatment of it felt different. And I think what was hard was it was such, like, a banger live like it just felt Mm -hmm. big and loud and like unruly and fun live like it just clicked it's one of those songs that like sort of just you didn't have to overthink it it just like worked in the practice space and it worked on stage really quickly and so like working backwards to make it work in the studio felt a little bit tricky where like other songs you can like write like an up-tempo like kind of big song in the studio and then like figure out how to make it like translate live this one was like the other direction a little bit so it was like we had this like experience attached to the song that was hard to like recreate in the studio where it's like this like closed in little space yeah i think we kind of went into the studio saying it's going to be different and we didn't have enough direction on like what that difference would actually be so that's definitely on us but you know you live you learn yeah i think singles are hard Sometimes because the rules, like it could go any direction. It could be like, whatever, like, let's just be free to be creative. And we did get super creative. We did that like tape delay thing. And like, I don't know, we Mm -hmm. kind of like embellished a bunch of fun. Like we went down rabbit holes and recorded a bunch of shit and it was cool. But like as a record, you kind of have a concept or like rules where you're like, well, we use these tones. We we've used these synth like synthesizers so far so maybe that helped rein it in too and then we and then we worked with andy too on the record who were like knew what we actually wanted versus what we what we say we want maybe yeah andy has a pretty special talent slash relationship to us maybe where i think he does a really good job of like he's got some ideas but he really knows the direction we already want to go in so there's that thing that we're talking about music is like dancing about architecture it's kind of hard to put it into words sometimes but andy seems to skip the words part and just do the thing that we think we wanted anyway so we've referred to andy a few times in this podcast and it's andy thompson and he has uh worked with a lot of different people um he's a little bit under the radar in the sense that like he he just works like mostly in his home studio with as far as like bands go like rock bands and whatnot but he does a lot of other work where he like works uh with orchestras like the minnesota orchestra and he's worked with dessa or he's worked done like string arrangements for like jeremy messersmith and played in his band or like has credits on all kinds of crazy albums like ranging from bell and sebastian to taylor swift even so he's just like a super nice guy um we had him sort of help out on the back end of our cellar door album on just helping us sort of mix things and get things to the sweet spot and really quickly became clear that he totally was able to speak our language in terms of the things that we like. Cause we're really picky too. I think like we know what we want. We have aesthetics that we are very much um, not going to budge on. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice cause he pushes us creatively and he is a little bit like a secret fifth member um, when it comes to studio time. But he also, he's rarely pushing us to places that are like not what we want to do. So it's a good mm-hmm. fit. And if you're a, I know there was a fan that asked a question about like, who do you guys work with? Who's your engineer? We're struggling to find people. Um, if you're at all local, he's worth hitting up. He he might not be like 
always available, but he's awesome. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else we wanted to go into about Death Proof? Maybe the final version of the song or whatever that is on Spotify and everything and on the album? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It's hard without the audio clips, but that song has a lot of layers, a lot of things mm-hmm. going on where, especially between like what we did in the studio and what we did live, like for me, there was that was a fun track because I got to indulge in guitar a lot. And in a synth pop band, sometimes it's more about picking your moments where guitar fits. But like I've got like a little arpeggiated parts. I've got like weird swelling distorted parts mm-hmm. that sound like synths. And I've got like lead kind of riffs. And then live, like a lot of those, like Amanda, you were playing on like a trigger, like a synth little foot pedal trigger to Mm kind of emulate what I recorded. And then on top of that, there's like a ton of synth layers and everything else. I feel like it got a little like shoegazy almost with all the different layers going on. Yeah, definitely. I think a fun fact about that, the final version, I'm pretty sure it's still in there, but like when the demo version started... I didn't want to record to just like dead silence. So I would, I would like record ambient noises or like find noises from somewhere and record on top of them. And there was like a clip of a pool party that I recorded on top of. And you can hear like someone cannonballing and like kids screaming. And I think it's still, I think that audio clip's still in the bridge. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, there's just so much, there's so many layers to that song. And I think we like, that record in general and cellar door too. There's like tons of layers going on mm-hmm. and yeah, we definitely indulged out of Goodnight paradise. That's probably one of the more indulgent tracks in terms of like probably like 30 layers of, of guitar and synth combined and you know, another, going on there. another noteworthy thing that kind of speaks to the difficulty in capturing the feeling in a studio versus live is that's a, you got screams in that song. Like, Matt, you bring out the yeah. scream once yeah. in a while, and that always feels like a hard spot to, like, hit perfectly in a studio because on a stage it's loud and you feel, like, the atmosphere of the room and, like, the crowd, and it doesn't really matter if it's, like, imperfect. But to hear, like, a scream that didn't quite land on recording is so cringy when it's not right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel like I remember we tracked that in Andy's studio, which is in his basement, and he has, like... He has twin boys and he has like a young daughter. And I remember they were like upstairs playing. It was like a summer day. And I was like, I, dude, I don't want to scream. Your kids are upstairs. Like, I'm going to frighten them. And he's like, they're, they're, they've heard it before. And we it took a couple takes, but the kids didn't come down concerned. Strangers so. screaming death proof yeah. in their basement. Yeah. Just playing Legos right above where we're recording. So. Corey, how about you? You have some drum pad moments and some real drum moments in that song how's that for you yeah i think it i think in that one it was like just at the beginning of the song um and i feel like it always kind of sucked live like it was like too quiet or something that's probably like on that's like i don't know one of the challenges of like that that drum pad that we use so i feel like we've always kind of struggled with like getting the levels just perfect mm-hmm. you know with certain between songs and stuff like that um but otherwise it, that's another fun one to play for me live too where it's just like a lot of a lot of acoustic drums and kind of like a different style than some of our other stuff i like my vocals on that one at the end when i'm singing death proof death proof when matt goes to that little b part na, 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 na. um i'm using like a super i don't know if it's considered like a slap back delay it's pretty quick though Da, 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 da. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah. Yeah. But I only do it live. It's not really quite like that on the album. So I guess you'll have to come see us in person. 
someday when that happens yeah. again. Yeah, sorry. And didn't Andy right change... Now. He did a weird bass thing at the end where it, like, works up. Yeah. And it, that never was in our any of our versions where we were... Yeah, that's... Sometimes when we're messing around... This happens with bass a lot or vocals, especially, like, sort of ooey, high vocals that I'm doing in the background of something, like on Finally Found. And he'll just ask me to, like, oh, like, just try something, improvise a little line, or, like, try singing this note for 12 bars. <laughs> and... That baseline was something where, like, I I kind of thought we were just messing around still and, like, trying, like, maybe I'll record this. And then he's, like, turns it up. Yep, I think I've got it. And it's like, oh, okay. And we listened to it back and it's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> Should we move on to our next segment, which is questions from you guys? <laughs> Thank you so much, listeners and uh, social media followers, I guess, for answering our prompt and asking us a bunch of questions. We've picked a few to answer today. Mike, do you want to read some off? Sure. Yeah. I'll try to answer. Some of them were kind of consolidating because they're similar to one another. Um, let's start with um, somebody asked, who is the narrator on our recordings who shares, who shares creepy wisdom? So, like, <laughs> I know they're talking about the witchcraft intro. Um, Dying Days maybe has it A um, couple songs off Cellar Door have it But Matt, you can answer that one best Yeah, so I, I've i always loved Halloween Since I was a kid And uh, one thing I've gotten into In like In adulthood is Is like the, uh, There was a time where they recorded all these records That were like haunted house records and some of them have narration where they're like scary stories. Some of them are like weird sound effects where, you know, you, you play it in your haunted house, I guess. Or like just to to spook, get really scared on your own. <laughs> um, and so through the years, I like downloaded a bunch of these different haunted house records. And most of them are, it's like from the 60s to maybe like the mid 80s. That was the heyday of the Haunted House record. So most of the narration stuff is done by Boris Karloff. There was a couple records that came out. I think they're called Tales of the Frightened. And I downloaded them illegally. He's if done. Boris, <laughs> if you're listening, if you're still alive, please. I can hear the sirens right now. We don't now. have any money. Yeah, please don't haunt us. We, um, But yeah, so I downloaded many. And the, like a lot of the clips are, especially in the early stuff, are everywhere. But the narrate the narrative stuff is is Boris Karloff and uh, actually I know a little bit about Boris Karloff just off the top of my head. William Henry Pratt, better known as his stage name Boris Karloff, yeah, was an English actor who was primarily known for his roles in horror films. He portrayed Frankenstein's oh. Monster of Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and Son of Frankenstein. Wait, he played the bride. Wait, maybe I... wait. He was he was Frankenstein and the bride. It, it was like a Eddie Murphy and movie. the son. No, he said he portrayed Frankenstein's Monster of Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and Son of Frankenstein. Too many Frankenstein. I'm just reading a Wikipedia thing, obviously, <laughs> but it's a, written a little bit weird. Like a Tyler Perry movie. But, uh, <laughs> nice. What are the questions you got, Mike? Um, okay. This one, I think, might capture a few different questions rolled into one. Who are your inspirations since your sound is more original than any new wave? Um, and I like that question because something that can happen with like a band as like 
distinct as us with like it's this certain kind of sound in this era and like you know halloween kind of things and 80s things like it gets a little bit um easy to just only go that direction when asking us questions which is understandable but we also have like tons of stuff we're into that goes well beyond the 80s or well beyond spooky or whatever so um like we are of an age that we didn't like our formative years were not the 80s so anything that you hear from us that's 80s was like discoveries in like college or later in life that we just really enjoyed so i think we'd all have pretty unique answers and some overlap but not across the board my biggest inspirations like the band that's inspired me the most over the course of the most years is definitely Radiohead, which is mm-hmm. probably an answer to... I was going to say Radiohead, too. I think that's a band that we all love a lot. There's not a ton where our Venn diagrams yeah. overlap quite as completely as with Radiohead. And I'm sure that's a million people in our kind of demographic and sure. generation. But, like, I, I've enjoyed all of Radiohead and Tom York. I also, you know, there's a lot of, like, you know, Matt and I... <laughs> We've bonded over like late 90s, early 2000s emo kind of crap. And then I got into like folky stuff. I loved like Old Modest Mouse was huge inspiration for like my guitar playing. Um, And it's like stuff like that that you don't really hear in our music. As far as our music, like I love Depeche Mode and The Cure and Joy Division, New Order kind of stuff, obviously, which is pretty evident. Mm -hmm. But how about you guys? Other inspirations? I would add to that for my singing inspirations i definitely grew up on like frank sinatra dean martin ella fitzgerald like all those old standards kind of singers that definitely played into my singing influences how about you guys um (laughs) i'm just a drummer i used i feel like i used to really one of my like drum influences probably was like some of the older foals stuff um but yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a hard one. I feel like this is when like people are like, "What like drummer really influenced you?" It's like I don't know that I really have like a particular person that I'm. I think it's just more like what I'm, you know, what I happen to be listening to at the moment. I maybe pay a little bit more attention to, you know, the percussion stuff in it. But yeah, like Foles early on. I mean, a lot of the same stuff too. It's just like I, like Radiohead is one of the first bands I think that was like I don't know felt like different, you know, or like alternative or something that I can kind of remember. Matt, what other inspirations for you besides just like some of the obvious new wave that we normally credit? Did you bring up Spin Doctors yet? Uh, I couldn't <laughs> bring them up without you being here. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of. I feel like you know all four of us have played in in different bands and different projects, and I think sometimes depending on the project you're in, you kind of zero in on a different set of influences that you think best is like that's what we're going for. And yeah, I think for this band, it it was always a mix of of like Depeche Mode and The Cure and New Order, definitely. Um, but also, you know, kind of some of those 1950s, like Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, like the croonery kind of 50s pop melodies. So I think those two things were combined, at least for me, in terms of like some early influences. But I think some of the modern bands like... I think someone's mentioned this before, like Pains of Being Pure at Heart or the drums or, or some of those other bands play with with some of the same influences. Um, but yeah, I would probably echo the statement that you made, Mike. About- well, I think that's a good, like you're making me think too about like you, you hone in on certain influences to curate like whatever the project you're working on is. 
And like when you and I, Matt, started Graveyard Club, it wasn't so much like this is the only kind of music I listen to and I've always wanted to be like in a gothy, new wavey 80s type band. It was more like I think we've all been in different projects with collections of friends or other bands where it all it maybe can feel like unfocused and that's like the worst thing where it's like what are we trying to make it's like we're all good musicians or like these are okay songs but like not really sure what the agenda is and everybody's kind of got their own little spin on like what they think might be cool to sound like and that's a problem because like you you sort of get this watered down vision and like I think for this it was like let's do something that's very specific like it's got these sounds and kind of these rules and these influences so like yeah we love that stuff but it was more from a place of like let's do something a little bit more um bold and focused instead of like trying to i don't know check the box on every single influence and random mm-hmm. idea we get right did you bring up dead man's bones at all i did not so yeah that was another band early on that we were like whoa this is this is really cool and it's like a, a band started by ryan gosling who's like Kind of a mom and pop actor. He's been in a couple of small <laughs> films throughout the years. Um, but he started the band as like a band you wouldn't expect like a really famous person to start. It was like a weird haunted house. like Children's choir. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a boy, yeah, boys choir or children's choir or something. Yeah. That's and cool. I remember, yeah, Mike and I bonded about that record and being like, wow. This I just is, listened to that cool. kind of recently again a couple of times. Good album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it's funny too because like that was like a early reference point, but in all reality we don't sound much like them at all. Like they're so much more like ramshackle kind of lo-fi and like minimalist than we are. Like we're a rock band and like synth pop and we're all maximalists. this maximalists. Yeah. <laughs> we're, you know, and like we were dancey at times. So like I don't know. It was just like a nice spot to start from in terms of like mood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. What are the questions you got there, Mikey? Um, let me go to... Okay, so those were some Insta questions. Let's go to some Facebook questions. Um, one of the questions was something we kind of touched on. Um, what's the best way for fans to support bands nowadays? Um, They're like, you know, is it streaming? Is it buying vinyl? Is it digital? Going to shows? Bandcamp. Um, yeah. Bandcamp is doing... Yeah, it's definitely not streaming. I don't know what streaming. they call them. Free, free Bandcamp Fridays or whatever, where they don't take their cut of the sales merch and and, uh, recordings and stuff, whatever you get from Bandcamp on those special Fridays is 100% going to the artists. So keep your eyes peeled for those days and buy stuff then. Yeah, I think beyond like the merch and Bandcamp kind of route, like maybe not financially as much, but in terms of exposure, like word of mouth is powerful. So like Mm -hmm. some of the fans that we've had that have been super sweet have just like, championed us a lot and tweeted about us and like brought friends to shows and like just really been generous in terms of like advocating for like you need to listen to this band and it's kind of surprising how far that can go that could be so huge especially for like a tour like i can think of one stop we made on a more recent tour that was kind of a last minute i think our first choice venue fell through or something and so we ended up playing this other place and it was just like not a good fit super small super you know we didn't get the word out very well but there was this little crew of fans like i don't know 10 people or something and we like through talking to them found out that it was 
kind of this one woman that had invited all of her friends and got all of the people she knew into us. And they all came and like bought merch and it just turned that experience from like a Skeletoons experience <laughs> into a really nice, nice surprise. Nice. Yeah, I agree. I think especially on the road where they're, I mean, you, you're playing some cities like for the first time. And right. It's hard to to build up that audience. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I do agree, though. Bandcamp's probably the best, like, for bands financially and kind of, like, probably the best morally. Um, it's hard, though. The cool thing about, well, I don't know if it's cool, but, like, the thing about Spotify is that, like, it interconnects. Like, that's how you discover new music, or at least how I do most of it. Yeah. Where you, like, you listen to a band you like, and then the radio starts, and, like, a couple tracks in, you're like, oh, this is cool. What is this? And you find it. Whereas, like, maybe Bandcamp has that function, and I don't know it, but... Yeah. Like, once you know about a band, you can go to Bandcamp and be like, hey, I'm going to buy a t-shirt or the record. It's good for exposure, but, but like, yeah, Spotify is definitely, like, no small bands are making any money off Spotify, you know, which... Yeah, like, I guess the benefits are there of that. It's, like, such a wide platform, but as far as, like, financially, it definitely kind of sucks and it feels a little bit, like, monopolistic, you know, as far as streaming goes, which it isn't, but just kind of where we're at right now. That's right. We, we're we starting a streaming platform, the four of us, and we're <laughs> going to try to get Spotify <laughs> down a peg. <laughs> I think we can do it. They'll never see it coming. Yeah, so if you have... Songs you want to give us the rights to, we'll put it on our <laughs> streaming platform. I think we have time for two more questions. Okay. Um, this one is a little nerdy, maybe, but I think it's fun. What has been your favorite or most inspiring piece of gear that you've used since the band started? I'm going to answer that question in the opposite, because I want to talk about the 12-step. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is this... Oh, <laughs> bane of my existence thing but fans love asking about it because it's like so visibly interesting I know and it's funny because okay so this instrument is operated by your feet it sits on the ground and plugs in and it has MIDI inputs and it's pretty programmable you can make it do a lot of different things run it through GarageBand or whatever else um, and so we use it for a lot of different things like Mike was mentioning on Death Proof he had a guitar part and he had several different layers so one of those is guitar layers he plays on guitar live and then the other part i play with my foot on the 12 step but the stinking instrument the reason i bought it is because they have a video of it being run over by a truck to show how durable it is and i was like this is going to be perfect we're a touring band we need a durable piece of gear sounds like shit but you can run over it with a truck <laughs> <laughs> i think we went through four of them at least three in in like as many years like one per year basically the input jack breaks and i will email support a bunch of times and they'll just be like well you you probably stored it wrong by twisting the cord around it and i'm like i didn't twist the cord around it i stored it as you told me to and it still broke and they were no help um so we just got a little sick of spending 300 dollars a year on a brand new one of these instruments and i also it's kind of fun to play like i'm playing bass with my hands i'm singing i'm playing this with my feet i'm doing like pedal stuff too um it's a, definitely like a tap dancing routine up there when i play live so it's kind of fun because i feel like this is impressive but it's also kind of like i sort of wish i could be thinking about my <laughs> singing or my bass playing a little bit more instead of worrying about one yeah. other thing to do so our last show that we played to date right now is um our first half show was that in january it was december, december. Yeah. December. Last December. Oh, a year ago. And 
sure enough, the 12 step was working perfectly uh, in our sound check and nothing changed. And then we took the stage for our set and it just totally shit out on me again. So I said, I'm throwing this into the garbage. This is our biggest show ever and it's that's not working. Like, yeah, that's like a sign. Like Nobody a sign notices. It was definitely not a sign. meant to be. So I'm not going to play that anymore. And our fans haven't really seen evidence of that yet because of the whole global pandemic situation. But I'm open to like finding some other instrument that does kind of the same thing, but I'm not in any big hurry. I remember one of our shows in Reykjavik watching like an entire pint of beer fall and like break into the 12 step. Do you remember that? <laughs> Did you have the 12 step? Wait, or am I thinking I thought it was your pedals? lap? I think I that was, was like actually just my pedal board. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is your pedal board just like broken glass and beer? Um, that was a crazy moment. And there was a very sweet bartender or barback or some guy working there that like rushed over and started picking bits of broken glass out of my pedals because we like <laughs> were trying to still keep playing. And I was just like, oh my gosh, bless you. That was, that's right. I, I feel like that was the same show where Mike was like off of the stage because there wasn't quite enough room. But then you were like also yes. right where the bathroom was. So people were like, it was like, to, like oh, go yeah. smoke or like it was go like outside. a tiny, tiny corridor next to the stage where on one hand you could go to the left to the bathroom or straight out to a back outside patio. And I was just standing yeah. in the line of traffic, people like <laughs> bumping me as I'm like trying to play off stage. Oh it was great, but also that, was that show awesome was awesome show, too. It was yeah. really yeah. fun because Super it was just fun. like well packed, and it was like 11 o'clock at night, and everybody was like drunk when we were used to playing at libraries all day. And yeah. there was a guy like so it was screaming. Just like, oh yeah, this is like a rock show. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Wasn't there a guy like screaming in your ear, basically trying to sing along, even though there's no way he knew our songs? Yes, and like just throwing weird. you off the whole time, Amanda. Yeah, I kind of had a bad experience, yeah. but it was a great crowd. And aside from the bits of broken glass and the yelling man and the bathroom corridor for Mike, it was Other than really that. great. I brought this up to tie back into Home Alone because uh, that broken glass <laughs> reminds me of when when they come into the house and the ornaments are broken and they have to walk across them. <laughs> so that was the tie-in. This slowly Excellent. just devolves into a Home Alone podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay, other favorite pieces of gear? Anyone else? Or most inspiring since we've started as a band, I think the question was. I think my favorite, I don't know if it's most inspiring, but the, the Mini Log, which is an analog synthesizer made by Korg. And both Amanda and I have one of them. It's an instrument so nice, we bought it twice. Right. And it's, it's not that expensive. I mean, it's like hundreds of dollars, but in, in terms of like how much a high-end synth costs, it's like very cheap. And <laughs> for the... Yeah, Walter agrees. I think for the money, we've it's it sounds great. Like I've used that synth all over Goodnight Paradise, all over the the new stuff we've been working on, and it's been great. It's really fun to use. There's like a cool arpeggiator. Um, but recently, I've been playing around with this thing called the Organelle. I have it right here. I... And it's. It's pretty fun. It's pretty inspiring. I don't know if it's my favorite, but that's kind of my new toy. Corey, what is your favorite drumstick? Just I've kidding. got this one that I have that I just whittled myself recently. It is, it's not very straight or balanced or anything, but I just <laughs> like it. It got struck by lightning, and that's, yeah. that's how its power <laughs> comes to be. I mean, I think that was, like, obviously one of the big changes for us was just when we got the Roland drum pad and we started using that live just to be able to add extra sounds and extra like layers of stuff that we didn't have the you know hands to do 
So that's been good, but I don't know. I just kind of I feel like I'm sort of the same way, like it's kind of like you were saying, Amanda, where I'm kind of like, this, I feel like the songs where I don't have to play that are like the ones that I have the most fun on <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's just like another thing to kind of think about. Or I'm kind of like, I just want to like, I don't know. It's I think it's got its place, um, but there's something about not having to like have a click track in my ear and have to worry about triggering triggering different stuff at different times, which is kind of nice too. But yeah, that, for our live shows, I think that really helped to kind of fill things out. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I've become a total gear nerd over the last few years. I always used to sing and write in former bands. And so just being a guitar player freed me up to like really indulge in pedals um, for the first time kind of ever. So I don't know that there's one singular piece. Um, as far as like my whole setup, I've always loved Fender everything, guitars and amps. I have like staples on my pedal board of like here are like the seven to twelve <laughs> pedals that I always go for, but like different makes of them or different like clones of them and things like that. So like I always have like a rat style distortion, which is like a very famous 70s, 80s pedal. And it's just like perfect for like anytime you have like a little riff that needs to cut through the mix, just that's the go to. Gotta gotta get a rat pedal, everyone. And then, like, I've gone through all, like, the boutique, super high-end, like, crazy pedals, and I get on these little, like, ideas of, like, I'm going to use this. And it's kind of funny how sometimes you just return back to something super simple. Like, I had, like, one boss pedal when I was a teenager, and then you go through this phase of, like, boss is stupid, it's lame. And now, like, the pedal that works best in our band that I have on all the time is a boss blues driver. But yeah, so I don't know. I got a lot of stuff. Choruses and reverbs, of course, are important in our sound. Getting that dreamy stuff, but I don't know. There's, there's chorus too many. of course. Chorus of course. There's too many to name. We have to, you know what? And maybe we need to edit what I'm going to say out for <laughs> future suspense. But we need to have a rat section of this of this podcast. Like, oh, where are the best rats? No, I where think we leave this in. This is a good teaser to get people to come Corey, back for more. As a rat aficionado. We put it into story time next week. Oh, yeah. Next story time yeah. definitely is rat, rat we, So, listeners, let us know. Do you want to hear more about our tours or more about rats? That ties into tour, though. There, We find all our best rats on tour. Yeah. Um, is that it for questions? Yeah, I think that's good. So, listeners, if you have a question you would like answered, hit us up. You can send us a message on Instagram, Facebook, email us, graveyardclubband at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and what you want to hear more of on this podcast. We're going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for listening to Welcome to the Club, a Graveyard Club podcast. We should backtrack because you smacked your microphone and you F-bombed. Oh, sorry. Hello and welcome to the club. Nope, that's not how I'm going to say it. one it sounds dumb going twice it's so it's so quiet and so slow we just take it out it's not good